Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here, the Eric Erickson Show. Post row America, the world has not come to an end, I would point out. The phone number, 877-973-7425. The Supreme Court released a big opinion this morning, the Kennedy case. Uh, you are, as a teacher, allowed to pray at school now. Um, believe it or not, you weren't allowed to. In fact, the, we'll get into this in the third hour. Um, it's a pretty significant case. Uh, the minority, the dissent, actually suggests that uh, schools, it's okay if they fire you for overt religious expression, including wearing a yarmulke or something like that. Um, absolutely bizarre extremists uh, in the dissent. That case won't get people as riled up as the Dobbs case has, though. The amount of hysteria by the left over the Dobbs case on Friday, which ended Roe v. Wade, is another stark reminder that uh, the political left in the United States and members of the media who are almost all outside of Fox News on the political left have never bothered to understand, learn, or take seriously the arguments of the political right. I mean, they're, they're acting like for example, they're saying uh, Clarence Thomas now wants to get rid of gay marriage and interracial marriage and contraception alike. If you actually read his opinion, it's not what Clarence Thomas says. It's a mischaracterization of what Clarence Thomas says. He wants to get rid of substantive due process. Substantive due process is a judicial construct that he believes gives judges too much power. Clarence Thomas isn't getting rid of interracial marriage. He's in an interracial marriage. Um, it's just, it's hysteria from the left. They simply do not understand the arguments of the political right. They don't even try. And then they convey to you and others their sense of hysteria about how the right is just going to impose a theocracy on the country. And we're all going to be in the handmaid's tale or some such. The bottom line is this. The Dobbs case was the end result of 50 years of democratic action by the pro-life movement. And if the cultural elite in this country and, and the left and media appreciated at all the pro-life movement, it, this movement would get its due for being probably the greatest democratic effort in this country after the civil rights movement. The civil rights movement changed not just laws, but changed hearts and minds and was able to uh, get a uh, the, the Civil Rights Act passed, the Voting Rights Act passed, uh, scores of legislation and judicial opinions that really ended the Jim Crow era. The only other comparable movement is the pro-life movement. Now, you may be offended by that, but it's because you don't understand the history. You don't understand what happened. When Roe v. Wade came out in 1973, it actually was not that big of a deal. It Part of the reason it wasn't that big of a deal is because Harry Truman and Lyndon Johnson both died. That's something that I, I, I think you, you've got to understand in context when people say it wasn't treated as a very big deal. Harry Truman had just died in December of 1972. And then um, in January of 1973... Lyndon Johnson died, and that it, 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 Roe came out January 22nd, and Lyndon Johnson died the same day. We had just come out of mourning for Harry Truman, 
and jumped straight back into national mourning for Lyndon Johnson on the same day Roe v. Wade came out. So when historians on the left say, well, it wasn't really treated that big of a deal at the time, yeah, it's kind of overshadowed that day by a president dying, one is in particular who was tied to the Kennedy assassination. But the Catholic Church began rallying evangelicals, many of whom, including Billy Graham, were not really um, opposed to abortion rights per se. They began to move within the Republican Party. They rallied behind Ronald Reagan in 1976 against Gerald Ford. And the argument was not, and you must understand this to be fair to history, the argument may have been pushed by religious leaders, but it was not a religious argument. The argument was very simple. Abortion does not exist in the Constitution. A court that can derive rights from the Constitution that are not there in text, nor there in subtext, nor there in the history of the Republic is a court that has gotten too strong. Reagan latched on to the pro-life movement as a base of support and in 1980 became president of the United States and his vice president, George H.W. Bush, was not a pro-life person. He changed to solidify and grab hold of the movement, but it really wasn't his issue. It was Reagan's. Reagan began speaking at the Right to Life March. He would uh, call in by phone. He wouldn't show up in person. And they began to form the Federalist Society. The Federalist Society was a group of lawyers and law students and scholars who provided intellectual weight and arguments to the movement. And then they began working democratically, electing Republican state legislators, electing Republican governors, electing Republican congressmen, electing Republican senators, advancing Republican and, and conservative judicial nominees who embrace the intellectual worldview of that conservative movement, of that pro-life movement, of those ideas. And they put on Sandra Day O'Connor on the United States Supreme Court. Reagan wanted a woman. She was the closest they could find. She betrayed them in Casey, but otherwise had a generally conservative worldview. And she began to help move the court right. William Rehnquist became the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court and began to provide the intellectual fuel to the fire of the conservative movement led by the Federalist Society. And other judges began to rise through the ranks. Antonin Scalia got appointed to the Supreme Court. It was with Robert Bork that the left realized what was going on. It took him a little while to catch up. And uh, they destroyed Robert Bork viciously mischaracterized him and Anthony Kennedy got on the court in 1989 George H.W. Bush became president pledging to put pro-lifers on the Supreme Court pledging to put originalists on the Supreme Court not pro-lifers per se originalist the originalist framework that the conservative movement and pro-lifers had rally around believe that you must look at what the founders of the Constitution had in mind in the history and rights within the Constitution, did they exist at the time the founders wrote them? If not, you have to have the legislature advance them. And so they continued to proceed with George H.W. Bush, who when a vacancy came open on the Supreme Court, put in a guy named David Souter. And Souter 
according to um, John Sununu, who was the chief of staff for George H.W. Bush, the father of the current New Hampshire governor, John Sununu convinced him Souter would be a pro-life, absolutely pro-life. Souter turned out to be one of the most reliable progressive members of the Supreme Court. And he, O'Connor and Kennedy, were the lead authors of Casey versus Planned Parenthood. Casey versus Planned Parenthood affirmed Roe v. Wade, but sought to put it on sound legal basis. Even people like Ruth Bader Ginsburg recognized that Roe v. Wade was was deeply flawed in its logic. And so uh, O'Connor, Souter, and Kennedy came up with a point of viability. Basically said, before then, it doesn't matter anyway. Can't survive outside the womb. Uh, and so after that, you can begin regulation. It had a galvanizing effect on the pro-life movement. The pro-life position became to work even harder and do better at vetting judges and not rely on uh, the, the testimony of people like John Sununu. It uh, forced the conservative movement, the pro-life movement together to work harder to advance uh, governors and to be involved in the staff picks. It allowed people like my friend Morton Blackwell of the Leadership Institute to come up with the phrase, people is policy. You can't surround the president with people who are pro-abortion because they may lead him to David Souters by saying that they're pro-life when they're not. And so the conservative movement, led by pro-lifers, embedded even further within the Republican Party and within Republican administrations. And then you got to George W. Bush and you got John Roberts. John Roberts' wife was on the board of Feminists for Life. He himself had within the Justice Department and as a lawyer made very clear his opposition to Roe v. Wade and his writings. He was more nebulous than others, but John Roberts, though he believes that he's got to take on the responsibility of Chief Justice and as Chief Justice must do incremental approaches, himself sided with the majority in the Dobbs case in, in judgment that upheld the Mississippi law. And he was still somewhat of an enigma, and conservatives have had problems with him, myself included, over some of what he's done. But when you understand he also has a job to do as chief justice to preserve the court, I think he probably hadn't done it as well as he should have. You kind of understand why he's done that. But then came Sam Alito. And in between came Harriet Myers. George W. Bush wanted to put his lawyer, Harriet Myers, on the Supreme Court. Conservative staffers in the Senate were furious. They did not trust her. She had been an Al Gore donor. She had made several speeches that suggested she was actually pro-abortion or pro-choice. So they began to sabotage her. I know this to be true. I've heard from them myself. Staffers in the United States Senate began to leak unfavorable information about her, that her meetings with senators were going poorly, that she was didn't have the constitutional heft to pull off the job, that she couldn't answer questions. And by the way, she had not even had any of those meetings. She had not handed over the documents, but it made it into the press because it was Senate staffers sabotaging her. When she did ultimately begin meeting with members of the Senate, all of the presuppositions that the staffers in the Senate made turned out to be true. She was out of her, out of her depth. So they yanked her nomination and got Sam Alito. And it advanced all the way into the Trump administration and Trump's nomination, you know, myself included, and a lot of my friends didn't support Trump because we figured he would either be pro-abortion or he would absolutely lose to Hillary Clinton. And we were proven wrong, thank goodness. And Mitch McConnell 
held the Merrick Garland decision. He knew he could not alienate the pro-life. He knew they needed pro-lifers to turn out to help Donald Trump. They knew they had to have Merrick Garland on hold when Anthony Kinn- or Antonin Scalia died in order to free up that seat and hold it for a conservative. And that, by the way, helped. A majority of the people who voted in 2016 who cared about abortion cared about the pro-life cause, and that pushed Donald Trump over the line. I didn't see that coming. I was wrong about that one. I'm glad I was. And so the conservatives were rewarded with Neil Gorsuch. And then the conservative movement pushed for Brett Kavanaugh. And Donald Trump by then had learned when the conservatives come with candidates, you just put them on the bench. And so he stood by Kavanaugh despite the character assassination. And Ruth Bader Ginsburg held on to the bitter end, convinced that she had to wait for a Democrat and she couldn't wait. Her health failed. She died. And conservatives rushed to put Amy Coney Barrett on. And Democrats say this is this is improper and this this is horrible and this is awful. They played by the rules. The conservative movement played by the rules. For 50 years, the conservative movement played by the rules. You can say that Merrick Garland wasn't playing by the rules. Yes, it was. The Senate doesn't get to just, just sign off on presidential appointments. They have to advise and consent. And they advised not to send a nomination, and they refused to give their consent. It's in the rule book. Every time the left loses, they claim that someone cheated, someone stole it, or the system is broken and has to be fixed. And all that's happened is that the right in this country for 50 years has used the democratic levers of government by winning elections, by winning presidential elections, by winning sentence, by confirming through those sentence conservative judicial picks in order to shift the Supreme Court to the right. It took them 50 years and they did it. 50 years of patience and setbacks and trying and they did it. And they did it through the democratic processes under the rules of the existing American Constitution. They will never be given the credit because the media is hostile to the pro-life cause. But it is the greatest democratic effort in this country since the civil rights movement. One of the greatest democratic efforts in American history. And they did it all without credit or respect from the left or the left even bothering even now to understand the arguments of the conservative movement, to even try to comprehend what we were saying, to give us any sort of legitimacy to this day, right now. Roe is gone and they still won't give legitimacy to the intellectual arguments made by the right, but they've lost. And all of this, a 50-year effort through the democratic processes to shape the Supreme Court under the existing rules of the American Constitution. And what's the left's response? Riots and violence, because they didn't get their way. Every right the left ever secured came by relying on the Supreme Court with a bunch of liberals in charge. They've never been able to mount an intellectual response to win in the democratic institutions. And that is why today Roe v. Wade is no more. Democracy still matters. There are a lot of options out there. If you're a self-starter and you want to invest on your own, it can be really confusing. I'm delighted to tell you about SoFi because that's who I use. And now I've got them as an advertiser. If you're a SoFi user, you get all sorts of options, great research. You get the ability to invest in stocks, EFTs, crypto, plan out your retirement. More importantly, you got people you can call on. I mean, for example, I can use SoFi to buy stocks and EFTs and do 
the deep dive research if I need to and get complimentary financial planners ready to help answer questions. Uh, You can too, whether you're stuck on where to start or need help deciding what to do next. You can even save for retirement with traditional Roth and SEP IRAs. They have so many options. If you're into crypto, they've got 30 available coins, Bitcoin, Ethereum, Cardano, Solana, Dogecoin, and so much more. But more importantly, they've got the number one ranked automated investment tool, their robo-advisor. It takes the stress out of building and managing a diversified portfolio without having to pay a bunch of experts to do it. I really like SoFi. Y'all, I've tried, you name it, and I probably tried it, and I settled on SoFi and think you will like it as well. Cut through the jargon, make investing easier with SoFi. Visit SoFi.com slash Eric to learn how you can win up to $1,000 in stock when you open an account. That's SOFI.com slash Eric. Brokerage and active investing products offered through SoFi Securities, LLC. Member FINRA SIPC. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson. You can be a part of the program, and I want to play you some audio. You'll recognize the voice, I believe. People I've served with and um, the member of the court I refer back to uh, is the first Justice Harlan. Um, I just find his dissent in Plessy versus Ferguson, where he admits his own biases, but this, this document, this constitution knows no caste. You know, that I might have a particular view. I might have a bias, but not this document. Um, that to me is judging. That was Clarence Thomas. The left is smearing Thomas today. Over the weekend, led by Samuel L. Jackson, racial slurs began to uh, be thrown and hurled at Clarence Thomas, lots of N-words, Uncle Tom's, Uncle Clarence's, and the like. They don't like having a black man on the Supreme Court who disagrees with them on stuff. But let's focus on what he's saying about Justice Harlan's dissent in Plessy versus Ferguson. Plessy versus Ferguson is the case that allowed separate but equal. And Justice Harlan admitted he's a racist. He doesn't, doesn't like black people but said the Constitution doesn't care. It knows no caste. The Constitution doesn't care about skin color. And so, therefore, separate but equal could not be constitutional because it treated people as a caste system, which the document does not do. There's a willful slur out there that Clarence Thomas would get rid of interracial marriage. He himself is in one, or gay marriage or the like. Uh, Thomas believes the Constitution knows no caste. Marriage was a right under the Constitution at its founding. The founders did not have to get remarried when the Constitution was adopted. So we're not getting rid of interracial marriage, which, by the way, the United States was an anomaly at the time. Um, Interracial marriage has has long been known, uh, and marriage has evolved to include gay marriage. When Justice Thomas said we need to get rid of substantive due process, he was talking about judicial power, not upending marriage. The Constitution, in his words, knows no caste. You know, uh, you would think Clarence Thomas wrote the Dobbs decision given the hate directed his way in the last few days. The left really does not like conservative black people. Uh, They really, really don't. And Hispanic voters, when they drift further to the right uh, this year at the ballot box, are going to be in for a world of hate and invective uh, from the Democrats. It's, It's 
sad but predictable. Welcome, it's Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-973-7425 if you want to be a part of the program. Um, Real quick, a lot of conservatives have stepped up, or a lot of conservatives, a lot of corporations have stepped up in the last uh, 72 hours to say they will cover the cost of employees who live in pro-life states and want to go to a pro-abortion state to have an abortion. They will cover the costs of their employees to do that. That is their right to do. I don't have a philosophical constitutional problem with them doing it. Google is saying that it will relocate employees from pro-life states to pro-abortion states if if employees want to move. I I, I hope a a lot of their liberal employees in Atlanta leave and and make Georgia a more conservative state. That would be great. Uh, But that's their right to do it. Um, let, Let them do it. Federalism. I, I believe in federalism. What I find notable, though, is that uh, very few people are pointing out, of course, corporations are willing to cover the costs of a female employee to travel to have an abortion uh, because they, it's far cheaper for them to do that than to give women reasonable family paid time off. I mean, which would you prefer if you were a corporation? Uh, there, there, There is a correlation there. Now, One of the things you are all hearing, and some of you believe, I've gotten panicked messages in Instagram and Twitter and email and the like from people, oh my gosh, the Supreme Court, what were you thinking? This is going to help the Democrats in November. First of all, what is the use of power if you're not going to use it for good? I mean, I'm not persuaded by the argument the Supreme Court should not have done the right thing because it might mobilize Democrats. I'm really not. I mean, this has been a 50-year undertaking. Uh, Had they not done it, you would probably see the destruction of the Republican Party altogether. I mean, if if you did not, uh, it's, it's hard to think what the Republican Party would be like if these justices did not do it in this case. Uh, the, the level of, um, well, despondency you would see would rival what the left is going through right now. After 50 years of hard work to see it go down the drain like this, a lot of people would give up. So they had to do it. It was the right thing to do. It was the right judges to do it, and they did it. But now you're hearing a lot of people on the left say, well, we'll, we'll ride this all the way to November. In fact, there are a number of press reports out there, including this one from Axios headline, Democrats bet on Roe's ballot power. Democrats are grabbing the Roe reversal as a lifeline ahead of November's midterms. Republicans want to keep talking about inflation. This is an unusual case where the losing side wants to talk all about it. The winning side wants to spotlight elsewhere. Axios got a first look at websites for Democrats' House and Senate campaign arms launched Monday, less than 72 hours after the ruling, blasting Republican candidates on abortion. A CBS YouGov poll finds uh, 50% of Democrats are more likely to vote based on the role ruling, while only 20% of Republicans said the same. In an NPR Marist poll, 78% of Democrats said the court's decision makes them more likely to vote this fall, 24 points higher than Republicans. The problem here for that is that the GOP turnout is already through the roof. You're not going to get much higher when you're already at 100%. But uh, this should be tempered with this headline also from Axios. GOP gained more than 1 million voters. 
More than a million voters in 43 states switched to the Republican Party in the last year, while 630,000 became Democrats. It may be a new sign of a red wave brewing. The party switches were most significant in the suburbs, where well-educated swing voters who didn't support Trump in 2020 appear to be returning to the GOP. But the party switches were evident across the board in red state and blue state cities and towns and suburban areas of the nearly 1.7 million voters who changed parties in states with available data. Some two thirds went to the Republican Party. One outlier was Virginia, where Democrats saw an uptick in registered voters. Yes, but Democrats experienced wide scale defeat there during last fall statewide elections. Even as the Democrats bet on Roe. But I want to spend a moment with uh, Roy Texera, Democratic prognosticator who has uh, believed in the emerging Democratic majority. And I'm just going to read you some of what he wrote. And you, you need to pay attention to this one. This is very important. And again, he's one of the most respected pollsters, analysts in the Democratic Party writing this. Turnout myths die hard. Sneezing fit, sorry. In fact, they don't seem to die at all. This is particularly the case in Democratic circles. You don't have to talk to a typical Democrat for any length of time before they evince their touching faith in the wonder-working powers of high voter turnout. Interrogate them a little further And it turns out what they really mean is that the stark choices presented to the electorate by Democrats' progressive policies and Republicans' reactionary ones will, if presented forcefully enough, produce massive turnout by Democratic-leaning constituencies, non-whites, young voters, etc., that will neutralize Republican advantages. We can see the latest example of this and how many Democrats are approaching the 2022 elections. The giant hole the Democrats are now in is hard to deny. Biden's approval rating, a key indicator of midterm outcomes, is now below 40 percent in the 538 rolling average and below where Trump's was at this point in 2018. Republicans are comfortably ahead on the generic congressional ballot, which typically underestimates Republican chances and augurs a big election for them. Gallup just released a comprehensive historic review of midterm indicators, presidential and congressional approval, satisfaction with direction of the country, views on economic conditions, all show Democrats' current situation to be exceptionally grim. Democrats' approach to digging out of this hole relies heavily on turnout. Either implicitly or explicitly, Democrats think of issues like abortion, guns, MAGA Republicans, and of course January 6th, mostly as ways of motivating their base to turn out at higher levels in the current dismal political environment. Robert Kuttner, in an article, Democracy Summer in the American Prospect, states, quote, The survival of Democrats in 2022 will depend heavily on turnout. Though Donald Trump will not be on the ballot, he will be our not-so-secret weapon. America today has few swing voters, but dozens of swing districts where turnout will determine the winner. There are a number of reasons why this turnout fix is unlikely to work and is borderline delusional. One, start with this. When Democrats persuade a voter to switch sides, that nets two votes for the Democrat, one less for the Republican, one more for the Democrat. When Democrats turn out one more vote for Democrats, it's a net of only one for them. But it's really worse than that. 
Typically, Democrats think of increased base turnout in terms of turning out more voters from various pro-democratic demographic groups. But not all the voters in those groups favor the Democrats. So you mobilize more voters from a given group, you might be adding to the Republicans. Then there's the empirical record. Evidence for turnout patterns driving Democratic electoral fate is extremely thin and conclusively demonstrated in the turnout myth by political scientist Darren Shaw. Recent elections bear this out. In other words, Democrats who think that Roe v. Wade's end is going to mobilize their base have a problem. And that is, you might not be mobilizing your base, you might be mobilizing other people, but also there aren't enough of you. The teachable moment should be about reacquainting the Democratic Party with the actually existing demographics and politics of the country they live in. Given patterns of educational and geographic polarization, they are now at a crippling disadvantage in what remains an overwhelmingly working class and non-urban country. And there's an extra point that must be added here. The working class is more pro-life than the college educated. This is, again, going back to what I said at the beginning of the show, one of the most remarkable things about the pro-life movement is it was able to get this change working through the democratic institutions of the country with a cause that is not popular with college-educated white secular people, the, the dominant people in leadership in this country of both parties and the media. But it's very popular with the working class. And the Democrats can't mobilize those highly educated white people more than they already are. They're already mobilized to turn out. So let's go back to the Axios numbers for the Democrats uh, based on uh, what their polling shows. A CBS poll found 50% of Democrats more likely to vote based on Roe than 20% of Republicans. NPR poll shows 78% of Democrats said the court's decision makes them more likely to vote in the fall, 24 points higher than Republicans. But you know what else the polling shows? For swing voters, the economy and immigration still rank higher than abortion. The economy and immigration. Winning the decision was not going to inspire more Republicans to turn out. Certainly losing, it will inspire the Democrats to turn out. The problem for the Democrats is that the Republicans will stick with abortion and most voters won't be impacted by it. And the Republicans will stick with the economy and most voters will be impacted by that. And then there's one more problem. This again, Roy Texiera pointed out the Ryan Grimm story that I talked to you guys the other day about from The Intercept. Progressive organizations, which form a vital part of the Democrats' supportive ecosystem, have become massively dysfunctional due to internal meltdowns, mission creep, and maximalist goal setting. For those close to this world, this has been apparent for some time, though there's been reluctance to call it out for fear of helping the right. You've got internal dysfunction. You've got mission creep. I mean, let's take NARAL, the abortion group. If your feminism doesn't include trans women and girls, it's not feminism. If your feminism doesn't understand how anti-trans policies disproportionately impact BIPOC folks, particularly black trans women and girls, it's not feminism. What does this have to do with abortion? Or the Sierra Club, 
calling for environmental health of all communities, especially those communities that continue to endure deep trauma resulting from a legacy of colonialism, genocide, land theft, enslavement, racial terror, racial capitalism, structural discrimination and exclusion. What the hell does that have to do with the environment? You got all of these things playing against the Democratic Party right now, and they say turnout, turnout, it's going to be about turnout. Yes, you're going to turn out. But a million more people registered Republican than Democrat across 43 states in the last year. And swing voters care deeply more passionately about gas prices and inflation and immigration than they do about abortion. And there's a big surge coming at the border. And as the media goes into overdrive, focusing on abortion for the next four months and misses all of these other things, more and more people will tune out the media. Yes, there will be districts. Republicans for a while had thought they could even pick up some D plus 10 seats, places where Joe Biden beat Trump by 10 points or more. They, they thought maybe we can get their seats. They're probably off the table. They're probably off the table. But it does not matter. They do not need them to win. They only need five seats in the House of Representatives. They only need one seat in the U.S. Senate. That's all they need. And they're probably going to get those. And the Democrats, well, they may have historic, massive record turnout in Democratic areas, but they were already Democratic areas where the Republicans aren't competitive. I mean, you, you turn out 10 times the number of Democrats this year than last year in Nancy Pelosi's district. What have you done? Really nothing, nothing. You've just shown Democratic areas have Democratic voters. But in the swing districts, well, it's going to matter greatly that the Democrats focused on abortion and not all the issues that affect people on a daily basis. Now, one of the issues that affects you on a daily basis, probably, or at least regularly, is probably the air in your house, the dust, the pollen, the mold, the odors. What if you could buy a product? Hold, you can hold it in your hand, plug it into the wall, and it'll eliminate the odors and capture the dust, the mold, the pollen, the bacteria. Well, that's the Eden Pure Thunderstorm. And right now you get three of them. And you can get them for less than $200. Three of them for less than $200. You go to EdenPureDeals.com. And you put in my discount code, ERIC3, E-R-I-C-K-3, and you will get three Eden Pure Thunderstorms for less than $200. Normally, each of them is over $100. So you're saving $200, you're getting them for less than $200, and you're getting free shipping. They eliminate odors. They don't mask odors. I had to use one this weekend in my car. I went over, watched the Stanley Cup game on Friday night at a friend's house, and, well, my clothes smelled too cigar in my car, apparently, and I woke up on Saturday morning after doing Fox, and my goodness, I had to go run the Eden Pure in my car, and it worked. Got rid of the odors. You can get it in two. You can get three of them for less than $200, one for upstairs, one for downstairs, one for your suitcase to keep when you travel or your basement, wherever. Go to EdenPureDeals.com. Put in my discount code, ERIC3, E-R-I-C-K-3. This other program brought to you by First Liberty Building and Loan. Wherever you are nationwide, they can help your business grow. If you need access to loans, I'm talking big deals, $750,000 or more, reach out to my friends at First Liberty Building and Loan. See if they can help you. Tell them I sent you. Go to firstlibertyga.com, firstlibertyga.com. 
is their website. You can get their phone number, their contact information, all of that from there um, and see if they can help you. Now, you know, I I got to just real quick before I, I get off this, there, there's so much other stuff out there that I've got to talk about today. Um, the, the hysteria from the media, the media in this is the most biased in favor of abortion. And given what we've learned about the media, um, it, it's, it's not hard to understand why. When you consider the sexual harassment and sexual sordidness at, at NBC, the so-called rape doors and stuff uh, that, that different men had, you can understand why so many reporters are pro-abortion. It wouldn't surprise me uh, to find a disproportionate number of abortions within the news industry in this country. Uh, the number of men, I mean, look at Jeffrey Tubin at CNN, their legal analyst who insisted that when he got his colleague's daughter pregnant, he would only pay for an abortion, not child support. Uh, look at uh, NBC and, and Matt Lauer's ongoing liaisons in his room with a little button that locked the door. Um, look at the women who were subjected to it. You cannot kind of understand why members of the press are so in favor of abortion rights. There are probably a large number of women who think their career dependent on um, letting these men uh, be the way they were and thought that at least Roe v. Wade is there for it. Just, it, it, it is mind-numbing to me, bogglingly so, just how pro-abortion members of the media are. It skews the way they cover it. It skews the way they think about it. It skews the way they report other news. And they don't even bother to try to understand the arguments of people on the right. It's just a fascinating thing to watch just how bad. And, and you know, inside the Democratic bubble where the media exists, they're being told this is going to beat Republicans in November. This is going to beat Republicans. And I'm sure they've all internalized it. I'm sure they all believe it. The problem is the data is not there. What the data shows is that while this has fired up people who are already going to go vote Democrat and may get some of them to go turn out when they wouldn't otherwise, the reality is that swing voters still care passionately about the economy and crime and inflation and immigration way more than they do abortion rights. And that's not going to change because very few people are impacted by abortion. Very many people are impacted by gas prices and inflation. 